guys, this is Aaron coming at you, filling in for Doug this week on What's the Safety, What's the Hazard podcast. Doug is doing his civic duty, being subpoenaed to give his expert uh, testimony. I always tease him, careful calling yourself an expert, because you never know what you're going to get yourself into. Careful what you wish for. Careful what you wish for. But anyhow, today I'm joined by one of my colleagues at UNO, uh, Professor... Patty Meglitch. Yes. Hi. Morning. morning. Afternoon. Um, whenever. Yes. Patty is the uh, <laughs> the head of our HR curriculum department. Right. It's not really a department. It's not a it's management not really. department. It's just a, it's a concentration, concentration of focus. Concentration of focus. Right. So we're going to talk a little HR today and, and its relationship to safety. Um, everybody knows me at this point on the podcast, so I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll give you a second to kind of give your background a little bit sure. and maybe how you ended up at UNO. Oh, and being sure. the HR expert now on the podcast. Ah, yes, yes. So I'm seeing as I'm maybe the first HR person you've had. I don't know if uh, have you had po- HR And people? I think Doug may have had some before, Somebody but before? Uh, okay. By, by no means are, we, are they probably going to discuss some of the things we're going to get into. Okay. For sure. Yeah, yeah. So, and thank, thanks for having me, Aaron. Doug in abstentia. <laughs> I wish I could have met him, uh, but nevertheless, yeah. So, Aaron, I come to Omaha from a long, long life in uh, Cleveland, uh, outside of Cleveland, Ohio. That's really my my uh, home. So I spent the first, uh, I hate to say it, 50 years of my life uh, in Cleveland, and I worked in manufacturing. I was an HR director for a manufacturing nice. company. So I've been to bad. Cleveland once, the old Algora Theater. Agora. Al- Agora Theater. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, uh, that's where, I'm a big Bruce Springsteen fan, and uh, he played there, John, Southside Johnny and the Asbury Dukes yeah. and some other locals. Yeah, it was, it, it, it was, a, it was a nice it's club. It's a cool, Isn't yeah, it? you, yeah. When I was there, I was like, is this going to fall in on us? You know, it was, it had seen its aged a little oh, bit. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the city's, you Most know, of the cities like that, it, it has, yeah. But it's kind of had a revival. Uh, it, it did. It did. I think it was when they hosted, I don't know, four or five years ago, the National Republican National Convention, and they just facelifted the whole thing. Nice. So it's uh, actually a place you'd want to visit. Uh, back when I was growing up... <laughs> Not really, not really. So anyway, I spent most of my career in HR in manufacturing, but I did spend when my my first job out of college, I was I went to Bowling Green um, State University, and I uh, worked as a supervisor in a factory. So I started out frontline factory supervisor working, you know, horrible. Boots on the ground in the trenches. Sh- oh, my God. Horrible shifts. The night shift. It, it was it was kind of awful. You no, know, Steve uh, Schultz. Steve was on the show. And oh, yeah, yeah. He actually worked in packing plants mm-hmm. out of yes. college. Yeah, yeah. So this, you know, you got you got to pay your dues. At some point, you, yeah. at least you did back then, back in the 80s, paid your dues. So, uh, so yeah, I worked as a supervisor in a factory, maybe a polyester tire cord. Uh, so there you get a really different perspective of the people, the managing the people, because you're you're right there front and center. It was a continuous operation, 24-7 sort of processing plant, so big, heavy equipment, right. uh, that sort of thing. And then uh, t- had another job in a lamp lamp making factory. Then I moved over to HR and, and got my master's degree at Cleveland State and, and worked in HR for a very long time for a company that was... Um, Molded and extruded rubber and plastic components for automotives. We made automotive parts, uh, which made sense. So there's a clear theme to your background, like this automotive industry. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you're you're right. The tires and then I I hadn't pieced that one together. But yeah, you're right about that. Uh, so, so yeah, then I was on the, kind of the other side. We had, uh, we did a lot of uh, acquisitions, things like that. So uh, we started, we were mostly Ohio based, but then we bought some companies in Michigan, bought some companies, uh, manufacturing plant in South Carolina, Alabama, but we were east of the Mississippi sure. uh, serving the, you know, the big three. And then 
You made a transition to academia at some point. I did. I did, yes. Well, the automotive industry, like most industries, they have their cycle. And in the early 2000s, they were in one of those downturn cycles. And I just decided 20 years. And I had closed plants. I mean, I had done a lot of acquisitions. And I I was running around giving people, you know, those notices of your plants closing. And I thought, you know, this, I've kind of had it. So I (laughs) went back to school uh, at... I don't know. Your viewers may not know may not know the history of Kent State University. You might, as being a former military, you would know sure. maybe what Kent State was all about. Uh, but I did my graduate work at Kent State, and then I moved here in 2007. So this is a completely new career. Teaching sure. is a, a whole new career for me. So I've been doing that, yeah, 15 years now, teaching at UNO. I teach uh, H- all HR classes. Right. So training, staffing, uh, pay and rewards, basic HR and uh, I write a I write a textbook with a colleague of mine. We write a HR textbook. So, nice. Yeah. Let, I want to I want to ask you know HR like my background's military and then I worked corporate uh, for a bunch of years and th- there's really no HR in the military in in a traditional sense like you know there's no HR yeah. department there, there's mm-hmm. there's programs and avenues uh, for those types of services but you know traditionally and I don't want to talk about this just for a second traditionally HR was never viewed in a, in a positive manner. Oh, no. like, like if HR called, you were in trouble. It's oh, the only yes. time HR called you. And and I know as a manager myself, every time HR called, I'm just like, okay, now what got screwed up or what did I do? I didn't realize I did. Mm-hmm. And w- which is fine. I understand the value in the company I had worked for at the time. Uh, employees were encouraged to use HR as a conduit mm-hmm. uh, for their needs. Um, a- as a manager, I never liked that because I meant they weren't coming to me. They were just kind of going around me. And I see both sides of it. What, you know, at the university level, I, I know for students, like, as with a lot of our degree programs, like, HR is not that sexy on the surface. And why do I want to go to HR? Nobody likes HR. Um, how is that starting to change, like, that traditional view of HR to, to what it's, the importance that it needs to be now? You know, regrettably, or I don't know, maybe positively, the pandemic had effects on a lot of industries. But I will say before the pandemic, anybody who's uh, listening to this podcast or watching, if you are a hiring manager and you've been looking for employees probably since 2018, you struggled so badly. And so the emphasis on we need somebody who can find us people, people who will show up, suit up, do what they're supposed to do, not cause trouble, and <laughs> stay was even before the pandemic. But that sure. just went, man, that went on steroids. When the pandemic hit, then all of a sudden, everything was all, everything was about people, and it just it, it got a higher profile. And again, everything in life is cyclical, so I don't sit and think, well, oh, now we've arrived, and we will be forever on par as as the human capital, as the people part of a company is going to always be the the big focus. Right now, it's 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 in a hot spot. It's sure. the thing that makes or breaks any company. I, I don't care who you are, big, small. Right. Yeah. Uh, but it did change because it's funny you would say that. When I was in industry, if you had told me one of my taglines to my students when I, when I teach is, HR is a shared responsibility. Line managers right. have as much, they do more HR work than HR people do because they're the ones talking to employees. Sure. Observe, they're, they're spending time rubbing elbows with employees every day. And HR 
sat in his ivory tower in its little <laughs> corner, hoping never to go down in the factory, never getting dirty, never going out in the field. We don't right. want to know what goes on out there. Just come and tell us your stuff. But we're the pristine little people in the office pushing paper, right. telling everyone no. <laughs> That's fair. I had I had plant manager, what uh, plant manager? He was particularly belligerent, but he would say, you just see ghosts everywhere, uh, <laughs> accusing me of always look, you know, you're always, somebody is always looking for the bad stuff we're doing. You're always trying to uncover right. the dirt and I don't see you helping us. And HR people, and we try to really instill in our, uh, in our students, you're there to help the organization succeed, but your dance space is the people stuff. Right. So you're there, you're there to help line managers that's your job is to help them do better and get good results for the company. Get the things they need to, to get people to work right. and get perform. them trained, get them, sure. uh, you know, paid properly, take care of their, the, the care and feeding. Uh, when students tell me the reason they're drawn to the HR field is because they love people. Yeah. I tell them you should go into sales because HR is not the place if if your driving force is, I just love people and people love me and I'm a social animal, that's not the place for you because you can't make everyone happy. That's fun. That's funny you say that because uh, in my entrepreneur classes, I'll always tell my students, you know, why do you want to be an entrepreneur? It's always a typical, I want to keep all the money. I want to take whatever days off I want. And I'm like, well, good luck with that. But I always tell them, I say, hey, you should get uh, a pure commission-based sales job because you'll find out then how you deal with people in a hurry. Because it's either I figure it out or I starve. That's right. Yep. And it hurt. You, you know, you had said something that, um, you know, HR is always just off in the corner. Mm-hmm. Uh, always looking for things wrong. You know, Doug and I just recently had a discussion that, you know, uh, safety programs generally are like that as well. Just sit in the corner, make sure we're compliant. That's all we want you to do. Just make sure it's this add-on thing. Make sure we're compliant. Make sure we're staying out of trouble. We really don't want you out mingling with people. Uh, we need we got to get work done right, right. And, and we're trying to make that transition to this concept of in the working in the culture and the fabric you know mm-hmm. has hr i feel like hr's started to do that better throughout companies it's more of the fabric more of the culture of the company hr is more yes. accepted by people they're not the grim reaper just showing up because somebody did something wrong right right it's not like getting called to the principal's office when when you get the oh god and in even the times i always thought it was horrible it was never my decision but we're going to close i have to go you know lay people off friday afternoon two o'clock well now how how textbook stupid is that right. of course you know everywhere i would have i would arrive at a plant on friday they know why you're and there. people would just duck under their desks take lunch not come back uh so so yes yeah, some of that reputational I, I hope some of that reputational damage and the us against them that that's that's very much mm-hmm. that attitude that used to exist that now everywhere you see it's culture, culture, culture. That that's what makes or breaks any company. Is what's our culture? So now, this work from home. There's this big question: How is this going to affect our culture? Are we going to? Can be you able maintain to, culture? That's right. How do how do we make sure people have the same values? They're singing out right. of the same songbook when they're all over the all over the country or the world doing their thing remotely. How do we feel like we're part of? Sure. A group that that has this the, some shared idea. It's it's not easy. It's not it's, easy. Yeah. I, I feel like in a few years the real truth is going to come out. Like I think everything's yep. roses right now. Everybody loves working from home. Everybody feels more productive. 
uh, I have a sneaky suspicion in a few, in a few years we're going to find out otherwise. People are isolated. People need to be around people. We're more productive around people. We get more stuff done. It's better to have the conversation like this than yeah. to keep chasing each other. Oh, yeah. Through emails. I don't know. May, may, I might be wrong, but I have a sneaky suspicion. We're social creatures by nature. Like, we need to be around people. Yeah, yeah this is one of the biggest needs for humans is belongingness, belonging to something bigger yeah. than yourself. So most of us are not natural hermits. And, yeah, and you're right. Home, I think, forces that on mm-hmm. a lot of cases. Yeah. You know, this is, this is a safety podcast, and one thing we had chatted before is, you know, what's HR's role in, in safety? Uh, one of the things I wanted to bring up was someone had – we had talked about this concept, Doug and I. It's like, hey, when we think safety program, traditional safety programs were, okay, hard hats, tethering, let's get the posters up, let's make sure we're following OSHA's rules. And that's kind of where it stopped. But it would never really creep into the office environment so much. Like the, We don't think of a safety program in an office setting or a corporate setting. We always think of job site, work site, construction sites. And one of the things we had talked about, I was like, well, Doug, you know, what do we mean by do people feel safe at work? Oh. And he's like, whoa. He goes, I mean, because there's there's a lot of talk. There's there's workplace violence is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, anxiety is a real thing. Stress is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the socio political environment it affects people, and they bring that to them mm-hmm. with work at work. Uh, do people feel safe at work? And is that part of the safety program traditionally? That probably didn't fall under that umbrella. And I thought it would be a great discussion today is like, whose umbrella is that? Is that HR? Is that the safety program? Is that a combination thereof? Because I feel there needs to be a relationship between the safety program and HR because it is dealing with people at the end of the day. Right, right. And and I guess to that point, when you were talking office safety, I'm thinking, well, ergonomics, that stuff's been around. And now people are really sensitive to it because at home, well, I want that stand-up desk. Well, I need that special ergonomic chair. So people are now, I think, really keyed in if they're office workers just the just the work site sure what what's my work setting well i've got to be sure i've got the right kind of desk and and chair and headphones overuse injuries things like that yeah yeah so that's probably but that ergonomics has been around for a good long time and so that the kind of the safety hygiene piece what you're talking about has more to do with what we call psychological safety this feeling of if i when i walk in the door and I, st- I study workplace bullying and hazing and things uh, as my research. So <laughs> there, there are dysfunctional things that happen. Sure. And who, who basically should own that? Where should an employee sort of look to for someone to be allowing them to come in and be their best self and not have to deal with a bunch of, you know, just BS nonsense around them that is destructive sure. inner interpersonal. Or just anxiety to perform. Mm-hmm. You know, that's real as well. And and to me that's that's that psychological and, mm-hmm. and mental safety. And and you know, I Doug gave me this look like I hadn't thought of it like that. It, I mean safety is safety. Right. right. It's easy to see the X's and O's of hard hats. Like that's easy, but when people walk in, do they feel safe? Not just safe from injury, but right. to your point, safe from bullying. I, I tell our, my students all the time, and you know, hey, bullying doesn't stop in elementary school. Oh, gosh, There's no. corporate bullies everywhere. Oh, yeah. We like to call them type A personalities, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? But it's like who gets their own ways, who's going to succeed? Um, and, and But that can have an effect, and it can permeate. Oh, yes, it's very, and it's very yeah. much in the culture. If we let, if we let the CEO behave that way you've just told everybody i don't care what kind of no answer <laughs> right <laughs> what kind of policy you have the no jerks rule uh if the ceo is allowed to act like a jerk you've just pretty People much mimic. taken the gloves off and said this really is okay as long i 
I worked for someone like that. Uh, so it, it used to be, if you got results, it really, you know, the ends justified the means. Didn't matter who you pushed around, how you got there. And I, that is changing culturally. There is more recognition of the fact that there, there's a, you know, you bring your whole person to work. And if you're met, if your head's not in that space, you can't, you can't do what you should. You're, you're going, you're actually going to have an accident if you're preoccupied with lots of other sorts of stuff in your background. You're careless. You, oh gosh, just cut my finger off because I'm not paying attention. My head's not in the game. Uh, So it is important, but my guess would be most health and safety professionals, that's not a place where, similar to if you ever talk to a, like a regular doctor, they don't know anything about nutrition. We all recognize this is a real important piece of staying healthy, but that's just not part of training. My guess is health and safety people don't really get an awful lot. There's so much. If you looked at the OSHA requirements, I mean, the books would fill this table. Sure. So if that's your game, you're so busy with these regs. Just trying to keep up. Right. How on earth would you have time to say, wow, this mental health sort of piece, I have to get good at that. And then what's well. my uh, what's my standing to say I have expertise to help people do right. this? I, I know wellness programs have been around for a while. And I feel like mm-hmm. when you talk about the mental health aspect, that's usually fell under that wellness umbrella. But when we talk about do I feel safe at work, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, that's starting to skirt areas of responsibility and and, oh, yeah. and I can see how that falls under the safety program but I can also see how they're going to want to go no that's HR mm-hmm. and the HR goes no that's you guys and Wells goes no that's you guys and then then the ball gets dropped right right or we say that's line managers because sure. you're the ones who you notice you see when Aaron comes in and he's looking punked out or he starts you know, just performing really poorly you're the one that sees him so you you should be the first one to trigger they don't. They have time in the day. They're they're holding the ship together barely as it is. Sure. They're under a, a lot of pressure because they probably are short staffed. Behind they're time trying lines. To do th- yeah. And I'm supposed to pay attention to everyone who seems to be having a bad day. I that's that's not the case. But these um, employee assistance programs, that free outreach. A lot of companies have those, which is. That employee, you know, you po- you've probably, I, I know they have one at UNO, uh, that you call, you get uh, sort of a diagnosis from a mental health professional that you say, this is, you know, hey, my marriage is breaking up, or my kid's, my kid's on drugs, or I've got these other financial problems. That, that employee assistance plan is, is, was probably the first recognition that we should do it. But you see a lot more now about this employee well-being idea that, again, we can't just look at people as cogs in the wheel, that they, they have to bring their, you know, their, their, basically their heart and soul and, and their, their mental stability with them to do a good job for us. Right. Have you, I mean, I guess in, in your opinion, where do you, if someone had to take responsibility for it, mm-hmm. like, I, again, I could see how, that's an HR issue, I could, but I could see how a safety program would be like, well, safety is safety. We can't just limit safety to... Um, hard hats and reflective vests. I mean, if someone doesn't feel safe, mm-hmm. especially if there was an incident, uh, you know, God forbid it ever happened, but let's say there was a, a shooting mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. on site in a building. Okay, now people aren't going to feel safe coming in. Right. Like, is that a safety program issue to tackle? 
Wow, that's a that's a loaded question. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> Ideally, I like the open-ended questions it takes the focus right. off of me. Yeah. Right? No, no, no. But it's uh, it, it it yes and no because that's a special skill set. That that whole uh, and again, that's really why HR people steer away because I'm not capable. Uh, I don't have the ability to diagnose someone with a mental. I I couldn't see uh, someone might be twitching and acting kind of funky at work, and I might say, it's "Just too much coffee." That one's got that one's got a problem. <laughs> but am I going to be able to say? And I think it's his ADD, or I think he's off his bipolar meds. That's not that's not mine. I right. I shouldn't be doing that. I shouldn't be trying to guess that. You need mental health professionals. There's actually people who can come in diagnose those kinds of things. So it really probably, I hate to say it, you know, you need to bring someone else into the equation, but well, hey. but they do need to be able to understand what are those symptoms. Would it be fabulous? Would it be a progressive organization that said our safety program involves this as well? Heck yeah. That I mean, that would be one, an additional way to start to Bake it into this is everyday conversation. It isn't just isolated into the HR. Okay, if you go to the employee assistance plan we have on site, how many people want to walk down the hall of shame of well, that's where you go when they and everybody you think sees you're you walk in the exactly. door exactly. Right? So, so there's that stigma of well, I don't want people to know that I'm depressed. I don't want people to know that I have uh, these particular mental health has huge stigma. So overcoming right. that just socially is difficult, but that's that's probably the and when when there are these workplace violence things, that's a, that's what you see right away. We're going to have counselors on site. Everybody gets in, sits through a day of it, and then back to work. Right, right, and then oh, okay. Well, we had that training for an hour, so we should all be pretty capable of being able to shore each other up and making sure that everyone feels okay to come back to work. But that's that's who you bring in is the mental health right. people. So a relationship with some sort of mental health group is probably the best add you know addition to this team i like it and it really speaks to transitioning from it just being programmatic to being cultural Mm -hmm. that it's just hey we're we're okay to talk about it here we're okay that these use because we know every safety program if there isn't somebody driving it like if you leave it up to the employees just to do it they'll eventually stop doing it oh yeah it'll just you know if you have even if we have a mental health professional in the building and we say hey it's there if you want it they're probably not going to use it. Mm-hmm. But if we make it part of the culture and we're talking about it every day, like we're talking, this is part of the safety program. This is how we do work. This is how we conduct ourselves. It's not something we have to do. It's just how we do work and, and mental health and, and mental well being is part of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I think it would be, it would be very cool. That would be, I, I'd imagine there's very few, if any, companies with a safety program that includes mental health and mental safety, mm-hmm. um, on the regular most safety programs traditionally were hey we have our meeting once a year we get the new posters up ready break everybody go back to work and that's the last time you talk about safety until the next year when it comes back around and we're really trying to break that we're trying to get over that hump where it's a daily Mm -hmm. conversation and you know where i was just thinking that hey you know people feeling safe is important just as them acting safe well that's true and paying attention to other uh, other people that you notice Seems like you've been off for about a week now and, and, right. and being able to, and again, the pandemic wasn't great for an awful lot of things, but that really, you see so much more now, at least in the HR press about mental health issues. Sure. 
And we need to provide resources because people have felt beyond levels of stress they've never felt before. And, and so it has opened up conversations we might not have had even five years ago that it was absolutely, whoa, that you just keep that, you keep that at home. And now people talk about it because the stress of the uncertainty of what's, where am I working? When am, am I working? <laughs> yeah. All of that has, has again, it, do, it does, it makes it easier to talk about the mental health issues. I notice a lot of companies are, are doing resilience training mm-hmm. more and more all the time because there's so much change and people just don't deal with change very well. We're creatures of habit. We don't like change. Mm-hmm. Even if you try to convince me it's for the better and it's for, I, I, it's, <laughs> I've always done it this way. Can I just keep doing it this way? Um, how do you see that? You know, do, do you see that as well? More resilience training and more this idea of we got to help people cope with change and yes. not just let them figure it out. Right. And, and just to realize that, uh, you know, cha- change is a long, long-term process. <clears throat> and the people who have decided to make the change, they, they reconciled that in their heads. They figured out this is good. We want to do this. They're way on board. The numbers make sense. And now... Them. When they roll it out, they just think, well, everyone's going to grab onto this because it's a good idea, and we've, we've already we've made peace with it, and, and don't give people the time. So this idea of proactively managing change and helping people, because change is, is it's, it, that's endemic. That, and it, I think it goes faster now. <laughs> There's more changes, more rapidly, so you can't. We, we need to, as humans, become these very adaptable. That's, that's the, especially when I'm teaching a talent development, we talk about career planning. It's the first thing I tell students is the number one attribute employers will value is an employee's ability to adapt. You've got, you've got to be this person who can just shift from, here's what my job was yesterday, here are the people I was working with, because there's just... Unfortunately, the level of stability is is almost nil, and that's the way it's going to be for the foreseeable future. So, giving people the ability to flex and and adapt and to see these things is really is is really important. I know we were um, going to try to have you on a few months back mm-hmm. when OSHA's COVID policy was getting ready to drop, and one of the discussions Doug and I was having, Doug is like, you know, I, you know these companies are kind of waiting to see and i'm like dude they can't wait they need to start prepping people now mm-hmm. if they wait till it drops and then try to go to zero to 60 on this thing they're going to blow people's minds mm-hmm. but they need to start talking about it now start prepping people for it now start start at least getting some semblance of their program in place and how they're going to maybe execute this thing mm-hmm. at least have a 70 percent solution is well they don't want to do that they don't want to waste the time and i'm like they they need to waste the time because if it drops and they try to go, if it hits on a Friday and they try to go on Monday, it's going to mm-hmm. be a disaster. But resources are limited. Sure. And the, I don't want to say danger in, in, in that way. Uh, the risk is if I, especially now, oh my goodness, the, the, uncertainty of what administrations, you know, it, it used to be, all right, every four years or maybe every eight years, things would, would, you know, kind of change. Now these changes as we change administration in Washington's are, it's, it's, it's rapid and it's a 180. You did it, we won't. I mean, that, that's just kind of how it's been. So 
the risk is if I start to put in a lot of resources in doing this, I don't have certainty it's actually going to come to pass. And I hate to say it, but what's the big risk if I don't do it? I, I think companies, I, I could be wrong, but I think some companies, and especially smaller ones that don't have a lot of resources, you do the math and you say, what's the risk of not complying with all of these things I have to do that I don't know? And you make business decisions to say, I guess the penalty for not complying is going to be less than going sure, down the road on a wrist. and not knowing, and we just have to evaluate how, how do we spend this limited resource of time and energy when we don't even know if this is going to happen. Right. And unfortunately, in the past probably several years, everything coming out of Washington, it's, it's on for a minute. Then six months later, the courts say it's not. So you really... You you would have a tough time as a manager and as a leader of an organization to figure out how do I decide what I really need to do to get ahead of this stuff. Especially when you look at, I mean, if we're being honest, areas like HR and safety programs, they're not revenue generating areas. So we understand in the long term they are, if nothing else, through savings and, and not paying out workman's comp keeping people productive, keeping people on job. There's no shutdowns. But as far as does HR make us money, does the SAGE program make us money, they, they don't. Train education, does it actually make us money? No, it doesn't. So those programs tend to get resources last in a lot of cases, not get funding. Right. They'll get shut down first. I know in 2008 when the economy took a dump and a lot of, a lot of organizations had to flatten out and lean out, well, what goes first? Right. We need to save money and make cuts. Well, let's get rid of training education. We know in the long run yeah. it's probably going to hurt us, but mm-hmm. we got a short-term goal right now. And unfortunately, I think that hurts a lot of cases where, hey, we know we need to pump money into HR. We know we need to pump money into the safety program, but the CFO's going, hold on a minute. Mm-hmm. We, we got bills to pay over here first, and right. we got equipment we need to buy, and that's where it needs to go first. So I think sometimes the, the program's like, we would love a safety program that includes mental health. Mm-hmm. Okay, but are we going to hi- – what's it going to cost to hire somebody on, and where could that money be better? We need, I need another foreman I got to hire, so who am I going to hire first? That's right. Yeah, no, it's true. As I say, it's, uh, every, every organization is resource-constrained. I don't care how big your company is, how – profitable, there's still a limit to what you can do and how do you emphasize what it is. But but you make a good point because when when we talk about this idea of, you know, a company having some competitive advantage and line jobs and staff jobs, HR clearly sits in that, yeah, we're 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 a revenue suck, not a revenue generator. And you have to but but you have to frame it that Wait a minute. There's another way to be to help the profit of this organization or the outcomes if you're a nonprofit, and that's by saving money, and that's huge with safety programs. That's huge in a lot of the things you do with with the you know kind of the softer side of of your business. It isn't everyone can't be a salesperson. Someone has to make the stuff you're selling. Sure. So, but again, the salespeople, well, they're making they're the ones generating money. It's so, easy. It's easy to see. Yeah, it's easy to see. So getting everyone to realize, wait a minute, saving money by being compliant, by having a good employer image because we're safe and we people don't get hurt when they come to work here. 100%. People aren't afraid to come to work here because they're going to come out with fewer fingers than they started five years ago. <laughs> right. Companies have those reputations. Sure. Industries have those reputations. So if, if we can 
get beyond that and be known as, hey, that's that's a that's a worthwhile thing to building our reputation. We get better employees as a result. You know, you said one thing. You got to frame it, and I have this discussion with safety professionals all the time because they're always. I always get a question. Oh, I can't get any momentum, and we always, you know, when it comes to resources, we're not getting anything, and. You know, they just want us to stay compliant and they're not progressive thinking. And my reply to them is like, well, you, you need to have different conversations with different people. Mm-hmm. When, you, when you talk to the, to the CEO, that person wants to hear something different, why the safety program is important. Mm-hmm. That person wants to hear reputation and image and things like that. When you're talking to the COO, the operations person, that person wants to hear, how am I going to get more work done? How am I going to have less downtime? How am I going to meet deadlines? You know, when the CFO is in front of you, How's it going to save us money? How's it going to improve margins? And and a lot of people can't do that. They don't understand how to context the importance mm-hmm. of safety mm-hmm. into different people. And why. And I imagine HR has the same issues. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the the relation that that HR partner to a line manager who's actually front and center with employees, that person needs something far different than the COO does, and then the CEO, because right. they're looking five years down the pike. The line manager who doesn't have enough people to make the, you know, whatevers, all they care about is get me a warm body tomorrow <laughs> because to get I can't lunch. produce. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. They just want to make it through the shift and, and halfway meet their their production quota. And, this, and the CEO is thinking five years from now, what will happen? So, yes, you've got to be able to modify and think – at different tiers and have relationships at different tiers in the organization. And that's, that's not, that's not a natural sort of skill, especially because a lot of HR people, uh, they, they kind of are homegrown. They might sort of come out of other roles in organizations, maybe out of the, out of the finance or accounting group. They used to do payroll. Now they do HR. Well, they don't, what kind of conversation did they ever have with the top leaders? Virtually yeah, none. So no. they don't even have the the skill set and the vision to see, oh, wait, they want to know different stuff. Right. And I, you know, when when the safety folks talk to me about, hey, how do we change culture? I said, well, you got you to gotta have those conversations. You got to get in bed with all those people. And one thing I said, look, you have to have a tight relationship with HR as well. Mm-hmm. They can't be looked at as the boogeyman. Remember, it's all about people. In your opinion, what how does HR and safety work together? Like, how does that relationship, how does it look, but how does it need to look? Yeah. Well, and I can only speak to maybe how it maybe used to look, and I'm I'm hoping it doesn't look like that anymore. I laughed, I think, because Doug must have sent some question. I thought, oh, God, that's a a loaded loaded one for me. Because I think that it's very much a love-hate, or it used to be very much more hate than love, that they saw each other as uncommon enemies, that... uh, the safety people are very rigid, and the HR people are very rigid, but in different in different spheres, in different places. Uh, and so having them, ha- maybe recognizing what value each of them brings. Because HR has as many books on their table of things they're mandated to do as safety does, but safety is the rifle and HR is the shotgun. Because HR people have to comply with wage laws, union laws, um, employee relations things, equal opportunity. They've got a whole variety of different things. Safety has to go really deep because if I need to know what's what's the requirement, what's the, what's the safety guideline for this type of equipment, as an HR person, I can't possibly know all those safety standards. So I need someone who's really deep. 
So if they saw each other's value and saw how they each contribute to, to, to move in the organization forward and keeping people operating safely, productively, happily, that, that people mm-hmm. come to work with a little bit of joy, that would go a long way. So I suspect they got a lot. They were thrown into the room together with this COVID stuff because there was a daily change. What do we have to do? What can't we do? What do we- Who does this fall under? So how, how does it go? So You're right. They probably, again, the pandemic probably forced a lot of these a conversations of because they they simply no one had the 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 depth of ability to to deal with their part of this right. alone. I would hope that they found more common ground and realized they're both after the same thing. Just coming at it from different angles. And my angle was, you know, yeah. trying to get safety is in the culture of the company, having the safety manager not as this person in the corner, but as part of the leadership team. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, you know, if you can, you and HR can work together. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to say, here's why safety is important, and HR goes, yeah, he's right or she's right, it's kind of like, oh, okay, now they're both saying it. Right, right. And one of the things that they that safety people might do, especially because my guess would be a lot might might be people who were frontline, they were frontline workers, and they moved over into safety right. in, in a lot of organizations. So they don't, they, they may not know who the CEO is. They may not, ha- you know, they, they might just not even have those relationships. But m- kind of make your, <laughs> make your way up the, the organization chart in terms of people you talk to and go in and kind of interview them. What's, what is important to you as the controller? Find out what what matters to that person so you can start talking their game. And if you do that and you show a willingness to understand their world, don't expect them to understand yours because they don't want to. They want they want to just delegate it off to you. Sure. Just say, yes, we checked our box. We did our safety. We made everybody watch that safety video last year. So Posters up. We're good. <laughs> we, right? We're done. Go away. Uh, so if they want to have impact, they probably need uh, to, again, have conversations at those different functions. What, what matters to you? How can I help you? Maybe a, a, a question probably a lot of HR people don't ask. I'm here from HR and I'm here to help. That's like saying I'm here from OSHA and I'm here to help. People go <laughs> running for the door. Sure you are. <laughs> I see, I see the, the sickle behind your back, right? So, so that would be a way to begin to sort of take the gloves off and say, I'm, com- I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come to you rather than expecting you to just recognize what sure. incredible value I provide. I'm, I'm, I want to learn what you need. Mm-hmm. And then exactly. I'm going to go back and figure out how I can provide that mm-hmm. framed with what I do. That's right. That's right. right. You got to eat a little humble pie in that in that respect. Well, it's it's just all part of building relationships. Right. And and again, if you say, I, you know, I really am here with a sincere interest to find out what matters to you and how I how how what I know and I'm capable of can help you to be more effective to help our organization well that that will certainly help and and take that first step as i say waiting for them to come around and griping well they only come when someone has a really bad accident then all of a sudden the pressure is on and if i don't manage to deliver i'm in trouble which is maybe an attitude that happens more too often. often right it's, it's a classic laws of power that mm-hmm. when you go in and 
you, you want you need to get something done. You want to get something done. You just mm-hmm. need to make them believe it was their idea. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> At the end of the day, That's great true. idea. <laughs> and so maybe the first relationship again is I'm thinking that the pandemic threw these two functions together where they just they had to have each other to survive because HR just couldn't stay updated with this constantly sure. changing and their their uh, mandate was a little different because in HR we've also got privacy concerns there's a lot of other pieces to this puzzle of wow uh, you know, here we are, maybe from a pure safety standpoint, well, here, someone's got COVID, this is what we need to do, but there could be privacy issues. There can be disability accommodation issues. A lot of things that the HR people had to deal with that meshed in with safety that safety people might not be aware of and realize, oh, wait, there's other, there's other restrictions yeah. that stop us from doing certain kinds of things. It just sounds to me like m- more, more regular conversations, more regular, hey, how do we help each other? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we know we're in a resource-constraint environment. We know right. both of our programs are non-revenue generating, so we're, we mm-hmm. we're going to get the secondhand treatment. <laughs> but we know we need to get stuff done. And we know between the two of us, we really are the glue Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, so how how can we just advance both programs together? Because they do need to survive together, and, mm-hmm. and one needs the other, whether right. you want to admit it or not. Right, and a lot of companies, smaller companies, the HR person person is the safety person because again, that that uh, close relationship to workers' compensation. HR is probably handling workers' compensation insurance. Well. Why do you go to workers' compensation other than you've had an industrial injury? So it's, it's, it's a natural, in a small company, I'm thinking companies with one HR person, 100 employees less, which is a lot of companies. A lot of companies yeah. have, you know, m- few employees. The HR person is doing the safety stuff. How on earth can they keep up with all these standards? It's, yeah. it's ludicrous. They're just, it's, it, 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 it's got a lot, there's a lot of depth to to what that is, depending on the industry you're in as well. Sure, absolutely. Um, but there's some commonalities across all industries, mm-hmm. right? And oh yeah, I mean you've got to be there careful because common sense isn't so common, but, no, but right? But <laughs> well, no, but there's but you're right. There's common standards that sure. would apply across everyone. But again, in manufacturing, you know, we're in plastic manufacturing. Well, there's guarding requirements you wouldn't have in a hospital. It would be different. So sure, your environment is. That's the other half of the books on the table is your your industry. But some of it is just, hey, everyone's got the same requirements. Yeah. Where do you see, you know, now we're kind of, okay, it's two years now-ish since Mm -hmm. COVID. Um, We're settling into this work from home thing. But Mm -hmm. I I try to impress upon people. When you look at the news, the media makes it seem like everybody's working from home. In reality, it's a very small percentage of our workforce that's actually working from home. Like there's still... When you think about all the laborers mm-hmm. and uh, boots on the ground type of jobs, that, mm-hmm. that's still the vast majority of our workforce. So it's not like everybody's suddenly in our home office. There's still a lot of people on job sites, in mm-hmm. factories. Um, h- how do you not, like now safety and HR both have to be like, wow, I got two moving targets now. Right, right. Because I've got people operating in these uncertain, these un, uh, uncontrolled environments when they're at home. So from a safety perspective, I've got people out there <laughs> doing things that uh, 
Wow, they're all in their homes. And I have. I may have read this wrong, but I, I read that you're starting to see workman's comp claims from people at home. Probably. They were because they're on the clock technically, they are. and they mm-hmm. come, came around the corner and tripped over the kids' toys and sprained their ankle. But while I'm on yeah. the clock, I'm working from home. Is that technically workman's comp? I don't want to get into the technicalities oh. of it, mm-hmm. but th- there's issues now that are starting to surface. You know, so uh, as an HR professional, yeah. as a safety person, it's like. Wow, must is that under my umbrella now? What's happening at home? Well, you're right because am I going to be a big brother and am I going to say, all right, Aaron, you want to work from home, so I'm going to tail you home and I'm going to check your workspace, almost like a social worker if you want to adapt. Oh, you have all these kid. trip hazards That's you need to right. get rid of. You, you got to put rubber guards on all the corners and all this stuff. Of course, none of that happened. Clear. I, I doubt very much that somebody, right. or we even made people put a little camera and show us, this is my workspace. These are all, Is it compliant? Not. Compliant with what? That's right. And so I think, as I say, back to the earlier piece, you know, the worker was probably really, really aware of the ergonomic bit because, wow, now I need to configure a workspace mm-hmm. so I can be here for eight hours and not at the end of the day feel like my whole body fell apart. But they didn't think about bumping their heads on the cabinet, trip hazards, electric. I've got all now. I've got all this electric equipment. My house Maybe down. I'm overloading. <laughs> right. right? Is that uh, that'll be the next work comp claim? Won't it? I burn my house down. Um, so, so I don't know how some of that information is conveyed, and how safety, you know, how safety professionals can, if they provide guidelines for this is the work at home. These are the the you know the top ten do's and don'ts of setting up a safe workplace, look around for these kinds of things. Uh, Sure, you know, it would be useful to do that. I don't know how many would have. So let me ask you this, and and, and obviously I'm relying on your expertise here. I don't know. I'm really asking for my own education. How does employment law work now that if you're working at home, what what is uh, the ring of influence I can have as an employer? Like to what degree can I tell you what you have to do in your own home if you're working for me on the clock like you have to do x y and z like where does that start and stop it's it that's a bit of a complicated question because some of that makes a difference on your uh, your classification for pay how does that sound independent contractor or your or or if you're an exempt employee or non-exempt employee so if you're if you're an employee who's entitled to get overtime pay by law that means I can restrict, you can't be working at odd hours. That I, I track your time because you're paid by your time. Right. So those conditions are perhaps a little different just in terms of I can restrict your, your time. If you're, an ex- you're a manager, you, you could work 24-7, sure. go right ahead. Uh, so there, there's those kinds of control issues on your time. There's security issues. What sort of equipment do you use? Is my IT sec- from an IT security right. perspective? Uh, how does my data RSA tokens type stuff like that? Yeah. yeah. How how is my data protected and safe? Uh, what what else can I require or demand of you uh, in terms of safety? I'm 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 going to make the assumption that if I've got safe safe workplace policies that would apply in the worksite, those translate to what's going on at home. But I you would get employee relations pushback if you said we're going to do an inspection of your house. Exactly. Yeah. I, I, see. I, I you may be allowed, but 
the employee, <laughs> the employee relations nightmare of saying, and we're going to come and check out your workplace at home sure. would probably uh, blow up in your face. Because I could see the angle that, hey, if, I'm, if I have a construction site, mm-hmm. that's the work site. Well, okay, you're at home, so that's the work site. Right. I could see how they're the same. It's just one's construction, one's your house. They're both off-site work sites. Right. You're on the clock. That's the work site. That is now my responsibility, and I'm allowed to dictate Mm-hmm. or demand certain things. But to your point, there's privacy issues. Well, it's my home. Mm-hmm. You can't come in my home. Well, but you're on the clock. And it's just a weird dynamic to me right now because I, I don't know what the right answer is. And I imagine a lot of HR and safety professionals are like, well, yeah, what is the right answer here? How do I, I'm a safety professional. I go, I need to have certain th- insurances mm-hmm. that people aren't going to get hurt. No different than if you were here. Like you, you see warning signs, you see things in place to prevent tripping. You know, I always tell people when you see a warning sign, some idiot hit their head. Otherwise that sign wouldn't be there, but I can't guarantee that if you're at home. And my, my sense would be that the prudent approach and many companies might have done this. I can't give you any examples, but my, my sense would be that what you, what you, what would be useful, what would be practical. Sure. Is that when an employee says, I want that work from home gig, and I'm going to set up my home office. You company are going to provide XYZ equipment for me. This is going to be my setup. That a part of this agreement, a part of this, I don't want to call it a contract because it wouldn't really be a contract, but part of that term and condition of this is where I'm doing my work comes with an acknowledgement by the employee that says, I'll comply with certain safety. I won't yeah. have, and that, and that it really would spell out. He, and, and again, the safety professional would be the one who would, I think, design the, 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 the bullet points. This is what's necessary to say if someone is in that personal environment, these are the things that they need to agree they're going to do or not do as a part of setting up that workspace. And when the, it's nothing's, bulletproof but sure. if the employee then says yeah i signed you know we, we all do I it agree to that. we read we read the just you know we read the whole thing we sign we we don't read the whole thing we <laughs> sign it we have a problem we go back and find out oh, oh i agreed to that i didn't realize i can't sue you but that would be the the kind of protection and uh you know make a short little video show people this is how to set up a workplace at home yeah this is what Cover not to bases. do and and give them give them some help in that So they know, oh, that, oh, I never thought. Sure. You know, to kind of bring this full circle, you know, with with mental health and Mm -hmm. and feeling safe and um, whose responsibility is that. We had said that with people working from home, people are isolated, starting to get isolated. Now, we we know depression's up. We know suicide's up. uh, And a a lot of that is pointing towards people just being isolated. Mm -hmm. Now, COVID has lifted a little bit. People are getting out more. It, it was a lot worse a year ago, two years right. ago, when we were really isolated from each other. But I, I see that now as as even being another, even more emphasis, not just the mental health of people that we're seeing every day, but, you know, out of sight, out of mind sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and, yeah, they're working from home. We almost forget they're there. Oh, Yes. Like yeah. that to me that that's a whole that's part of Pandora's box that we opened with this whole work from home thing. It's like now as a safety person, not only must I worry about everybody I see, it's like okay, I can't forget about the people I don't see anymore. Right, right. So how do I how do I loop them in? How do I ensure that they feel like they're still part of this bigger organization? That their contributions are being noticed, 
right. that they're not alone. They have help and resources. So what sort of lifelines do I put out there that they can access, that they, they've got someone they can talk to? They've got ways to raise the flag if they say, yeah. wow, I'm, I'm struggling here. What, what what can you line manager? What can you in HR? What can you safety folks? How how can you sure. kind of provide for me some assistance and help that I need? And normalizing this from a distance, it it can't all be delivered. And people have left; they've left the county. They don't live there anymore. They're still working for us, so it's not practical for them to come in and get face-to-face service the training yeah or whatever it needs and I, and I think a lot of times it's it begs it forces us to ask more questions mm-hmm. like it's easy for me to go out on a construction site and, and say okay yeah. what safety concerns do i see here but now people are working from home and i have to say hey what what safety concerns would, would these people might have mm-hmm. what safety concerns do i consider in this scenario that i never had to think about before right like who thinks about safety in their home mm-hmm. most people don't other than lock the doors at night set the alarm right but you, you don't think of again tripping hazards things like that so as a safety professional i'm thinking hey it's common mm-hmm. sense when i look at a job site what safety concerns do i have yes. i have to start thinking about okay what safety concerns do i have in a home now mm-hmm. no as i say and that's why my my you know a recommendation hey take a video this is a well put together sort of you know situation at home, yeah. a place that's got steps, a place that's got little kids, a place that got pets. How how do I make sure that the work that I can access the workplace and spend my day in the workplace without undue hazard? Uh, and the other thing, it's a sterile room in the basement. Like, <laughs> it's just, what do they call them? Panic room. Yeah. You just have a panic room where you do your work, uh, and they. Uh, Having open hours, having like an open office hour that maybe the safety and the HR people together once a week, they say, hey, we've just got open office hours, virtual Zoom open office hours. You drop in, you come in and visit and chat. Uh, And that would be perhaps a way that somebody who's, wait a minute, oh, all right, Tuesdays at 2 o'clock is open hours, it's office hours. I can go in and ask those questions and still feel yeah. like I'm talking to someone. Because it's easy to say, hey, hit me up anytime if you need something. But we know people don't. No. We know we can advertise open door policy. Rarely do people walk through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is it really open? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> type, type of thing. But that's a great idea. It's kind of like, hey, we're going to honor regular for our remote mm-hmm. workers. Right. Like, hey, maybe it's twice a week. Uh, at, at lunchtime where, you know, we're here, we're just going to be on mm-hmm. waiting if anybody wants to pop on and, and ask a question uh, at that time. Um, it's, it's just unique to me. I'm like, you've seen this, it's a, it's a here to stay mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future. And I think it's, it's creating rings of, of responsibility mm-hmm. that weren't there before for HR and for safety and other areas of the, the wellness program. It's like, how, how do I ensure a wellness program when I don't see people? Right. Uh, how do I ensure safety when I don't see them? And I don't even know what their job site looks like. I don't right. know what their home looks like. They just, I just know they're working from home. Right. Right. You know, are they on the roof trying to <laughs> on their laptop? Like, I don't, I don't know. That's true. Or they're on the deck in the summer and other, yeah. yeah as I say, it's, uh, it's something that they need guidance because people don't naturally think about, Oh, that that's a that's a potential problem right sure. there. That that's not something we normally think of. Till you're right, till it happens, sure. and I fall down the steps and realize, oh, 
I shouldn't be carrying my, my laptop with my camera. I shouldn't be on Zoom walking around the house where there's steps. <laughs> right, or trying to cook while I'm on Zoom and I cut my finger. And, and what I wonder is, and, and, and part of me is like, I see value in working from home just for flexibility mm-hmm. and convenience and, and letting people choose their work environments and, and their work schedules. But at the same time, if I'm an employer and all of a sudden I'm getting workman's comp issues, claims from home, I'm like, okay, everybody's back in the office. Oh, yeah. I need some control over this. I need to know you're in a safe environment. I can't, I hate to say this, I can't trust Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. not under my purview because people are falling down steps. People are cutting themselves. People are dropping their laptops in the sinks and and on conference calls while they're driving and getting in wrecks. Right. Right. So despite, and every, every state's a little different with their workers' comp. Um, in Ohio, uh, you, 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 even if it was your, if it was your fault, you did something, you know, boneheaded, stupid, had the accident, you still would be covered. So just because I say to you as employees, you've signed the acknowledgement, yep, I ticked off all the boxes, I don't have these hazards, I'm doing all the things I'm supposed to. If you do one of those stupid things, you're still going to be covered. I can discipline you, and I can say you're coming back in the office, but I've still got a work comp claim. Sure. Because it's, it's a, you're still forgiven for stupidity. Right. And after I said that out loud on a conference call while I'm driving, I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a huge safety hazard. <laughs> like, how does a safety manager even deal with something like that? Like, I don't even know how you would yeah, do it. I'm yeah. just throwing that out there. I'm like, man, as I say things, I'm like, geez, that's that's yeah, an leave even... it to the highway patrol. <laughs> right. <laughs> For sure. Well, shoot, that's an hour already. That's an hour, golly. And uh, Doug tries to keep this about an hour. So, okay. Patty, thank you very much. Oh, thanks. I think this, this was yes. fun. Yeah. yeah, uh, yeah. You know, and if, if nothing else, it's just to give Doug's viewers uh, just something to think about. Mm-hmm. And, and hopefully, uh, as the safety professionals are watching this, go knock on that HR mm-hmm. professional's door and just sit down and have that conversation and say, how can we help each other? Again, we're trying to get to the same thing. We're mm-hmm. coming at it from different angles, but we can definitely at least start going in the same direction. And thank you always to Doug's sponsors. I'm sure Cam and these guys will scroll them at the bottom like normal. We don't have the normal green screen, so no cool stuff will be up. But hopefully the sponsors will be there. And uh, thanks for watching, guys, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks. A Huda Media Production.